Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I pray that your Christmas celebration yesterday filled you with the joy and peace that God wants you to have this Christmas season and always. And today, as, as we ponder what came down from heaven that first Christmas, we'll remind ourselves that the gift that God gave that first Christmas is not just good once a year, but forever. As we wrap up our sermon series on Advent visitations, as God prepared his people for the coming of the Messiah, today we rejoice that that Savior is born. You probably know that this happens every year. There is a toy that ascends to the top of people's wish lists and becomes the hottest toy for that Christmas. All right, you want to practice a little bit? See if you can remember some of these. I'll even ask you to show a show of hands. If you ever either waited in line or rushed into a store to get it for your children or if you got it as a gift or gave it to your children as a gift, we'll take them one at a time. I'm just, just interested, all right? We'll start in 1978, upper left-hand corner. Simon, anybody have one of those, a Simon? Yeah, there's the kids that are sitting here going, what? Simon? Yeah, it was a memory game. Wow, that's all I'll tell you. Or how about the Rubik's Cube? 1980, was the Rubik's Cube hottest toy in 1980? Okay, a few. Then in 1983, we went on to the Cabbage Patch Dolls. Mm, Cabbage Patch Dolls, yeah, okay, a few more. 1986, anybody recognize that one? Teddy Ruxpin, the talking bear? Yep, that was 1986. Move on to 1989, upper left corner, a Game Boy. That's been around for a while. Anybody have a Game Boy? It doesn't have to be from 1989, but... Okay, we have a few Game Boy people out there. 1992, middle top, the Talking Barney. I know people don't want to admit this one, but I bet some of you had a Talking Barney somewhere along the line. Upper right-hand corner, Beanie Babies from 1995. Bottom left-hand corner, maybe the most sought-after toy in the history of Christmas toys, the Tickle Me Elmo from 1996. All right, I decided I would throw in some modern ones too. 2014, that's the Talking Elsa doll from Frozen. And then from this past year, 2021, the research is in. The hottest toy for Christmas 2021 is Grogan. Grogu, is that how you say his name? The child, Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call him. The plush doll from The Mandalorian, right? I just went through almost 40 years of toys, and obviously we skipped a bunch of years. But I want you to notice something. Maybe you did as we were going through it. Did you notice that every single one of those was different every year? No Christmas gift that's a toy or anything else in this world lasts. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But that's not true of the gift that we celebrated yesterday. The gift that's still good today, that'll be good tomorrow, that's good every single day, every single minute of every day, all the way to eternity. That's the gift that God sent that first Christmas. That's what we celebrated over the last couple of days. And again, we reflect on the fact that God sent Jesus to visit this earth. It's almost mind-boggling to say those words and to truly think about them, that the Son of God took on human skin and became one of us. As we look at Luke's beautiful account in the first seven verses of chapter 2, 
let's note two things. First of all, that God arranged the journey. And then secondly, that the Savior arrived quietly. Let's hear again the first three verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Luke provides a pretty simple narrative of the Christmas story, and and I imagine there might even be some here today that if you were given the first couple of words could recite most of Luke chapter 2. Maybe you got to do it in a Christmas service once upon a time and those words just all come flooding back as you hear them again. Sometimes I wonder why Luke didn't give us more detail. There's questions that I'd like to ask and find out about what the details were surrounding Jesus' birth. But the detail he does give us is fairly amazing. He sets it in historical context. Luke makes sure that those who are reading his account of the Christmas story understand it's a real event. It actually happened. It's rooted in history. And it all starts with a guy named Caesar Augustus Augustus, who issued an order. A census should be taken. I suppose if you went back and read some things about Caesar Augustus, you could come up with a lot of phrases and words that would describe Caesar But friend of God would not be one of those phrases. And yet here, in the midst of the Christmas story, God uses a pagan ruler to help bring about Jesus' journey to this earth. The purpose of the census was taxing, to bring taxes to Augustus' people, and yet he unwittingly became a participant in the birth of our Savior Jesus. One thing that we can take from the Christmas story is simply this. When we use the word history, it truly is his story. It is truly God's story that we are reading. It's God who is in full control of all things. Even the kings and emperors of the day to bring Jesus to this earth at exactly the right time. That's how the Apostle Paul described it in Galatians chapter 4. Listen to these words from his letter to the Galatians. But when the time had fully, set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman so that he would be born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we would be adopted as sons. That was God's purpose in controlling all of history so that Jesus would arrive at just the right time. Take a look with me at the map. You can see the journey that that Joseph and Mary would have had to make from up here in Nazareth of Galilee, down along the Jordan River, all the way down here to Bethlehem, past Jerusalem. Probably a journey, depending on the route, that they took somewhere around 80 miles, just a little bit more than 80 miles. If you want to put that into context, it would be like walking from Chapel to Milwaukee. How long do you think that would take you? We have nice roads, maybe even some paths, and I bet still it might take you a good four or five days depending at what pace you would walk and how tired you get. Now imagine that it's Joseph and Mary, and Joseph and Mary are expecting a child. The terrain is probably not like the smooth roads that we have today. How many days did it take them? Eight? Ten? Maybe a little more? We're not told. 
Luke, again, doesn't supply all of those details for us. But here's what he does tell us. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. That's the one piece of information that Luke does provide. He tells us that Mary is expecting. Maybe some of you can remember, if you're advanced in years like I am, that the version that I learned when I was young of Luke 2 told us that she was great with child. Mary was ready to give birth at a moment's notice. You see, by law, Mary was not required to go with Joseph to the census. She was not required to make this journey. And Luke doesn't tell us why she did. Maybe Joseph simply didn't want her to be by herself when she gave birth. But do you see again how all of this worked into the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation, into the fulfillment of Scripture? 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah said that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. It was only through the census that they were drawn to that place from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. Do you see again that none of this happened by chance? That Jesus' entry into this world was all part of God's set design and purpose? I think there's a lesson for us in that. And I pray that God can give you comfort through that lesson today. We could ask the question this way. Is God still in control of history today? Is he still in full control of the world in which we're living right now? You know the answer, don't you? The answer is yes. There are times, aren't there, when we look around this world and and, and we wonder what's going on as as a pandemic drags on, as other things are happening in our world that that make us wonder, God, are you really there? We, We might even question, hello, God? Do you know what's happening on earth? Are you aware of all of the things that are going on? But look at the birth of Jesus. Look at how God knew the exact time, the set time in which Jesus was to be born, how he used people in history to bring about the birth of the Savior for you and for me. And know that, yes, your life, the right now, is in God's hands. He knows what's best for you, for me, for the world in which we live, and he is in full control. I read a story this week that I had been unaware of before uh, I read it this week, and and maybe some of you know uh, the man on the screen. I'll give you a little bit of his background. He was in his early 30s in 1971 and very down on his luck. As a matter of fact, he had no home, didn't have a dime in his pocket. And he walked into a diner just outside of his hometown in Mississippi. And he decided life was so bad he was going to go in, order as many things off the breakfast menu that he could, and before the bill came, he was going to skip out. He was going to dine and dash. The owner of the diner knew a little bit of what was going on. And he walked over to the man's table He bent over and pretended to look under the table and and brought up a $20 bill and said to him, I think you might have dropped this. Some of you are saying, well, how much breakfast can you buy with $20? But remember, it was 1971. He paid for his breakfast 
and he made himself a promise that from that day forward, if he were ever in a position to do so, he was going to make sure that he could take care of others. And God made it so. Just a few short years later, his name is Larry Stewart. This is him in almost 2006. Larry Stewart became a multimillionaire, investing in cable television and long-distance calling. He lived in the Kansas City area. And from 1979 to 2006, every Christmas season, he would dress up as Santa Claus. He became a secret Santa. Nobody knew his identity until right before he passed away in 2006 from esophageal cancer. He handed out $100 bills to the tune of nearly $2 million in $100 bills to people that he thought were in need. Interestingly enough, when his identity was released because he was near death, one of his friends, another businessman in Kansas City, picked up the process and is the secret Santa in Kansas City still today. And no one knows who he is. Estimates are that they're well together now over $3 million that have been handed out. It wasn't what he planned. But that little $20 gift in the diner became a gift that was passed on. I think about God's gift to us at Christmas. The planned journey of Jesus to come to this life and the gifts that God continues to give us day after day of the forgiveness that we need and the life that we have forever in heaven. I love how Luke is so simple in his reporting of the greatest event around the Christmas season. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Doesn't he say it so simply? The time came. Mary was ready to deliver. And she did. And she brought forth a gift, not just for Joseph and Mary, but a son. A son who matters to you and to me and for all people of all time. Jesus didn't really come the way we might expect the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to come to this earth. There was no fanfare. There was no parade, no announcement about Jesus' birth to the whole world. No, Jesus came in very humble circumstances. Instead of being laid in a, a golden crib, he was put in a feeding trough, a manger. Instead of being dressed in the royal robes, of kingship wrapped in swaddling clothes. There wasn't even a room available for Mary and Joseph. Have you ever pondered this? If God could arrange all of the other things surrounding Jesus' birth, the census from Caesar Augustus, the exact right time for Jesus to come into this world, Mary and Joseph being able to journey to Bethlehem, doesn't it stand to reason that he could have had Jesus born into a wealthy family? That he could have announced the birth of his son in a much greater way? That, that, that Jesus could have found a room somewhere to be born in? Of course. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why did God bring Jesus into the world in such humble circumstances? Why, why did Jesus come to this life not as the king of kings, but in a lowly manger? 
See, appearances aren't everything, are they? And what God is demonstrating by bringing Jesus into this world in humble circumstances is the purpose for which Jesus came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is demonstrating to you and me that he has become one like us. Tempted in every way, the writer to the Hebrews says, but he was without sin. Oh, if you listen to the Old Testament prophecies, if you heard what the prophets said about the coming Savior, you could see what God was doing. And Mary did. We're told later in chapter 2 that she treasured all of these events and kept thinking about them, pondered them in her heart. You see what Christmas is about? It's God's love. It's all about God's love for you. It's really what the entire Bible is about, isn't it? God loves you and he loves me. But don't we find ourselves questioning that from time to time? Does God really love us? Does God really love me? Part of the issue that we have in questioning God's love for us is we often equate God's love for us with the circumstances that we are experiencing in this life. We gauge God's love for us by how well life seems to be going for us. Maybe you don't ask the question directly, but most of us have thought things like this. God really loved me, then my health would be better or the health of my loved one would be better. If God really loved me, then I would have the job that I was looking for. If God really loved me, then that spouse that I am looking for would be brought into my life. If God really loved me, then my finances would be in better shape. You can fill in the blank. That's how we think. But here's the secret. The secret to understanding what Jesus came to this earth to do the secret to understanding God's gift to you and me at this Christmas is to hear God's promise. You are loved. I am with you. And know that that's true no matter what circumstances are in our lives. Can, can I repeat that? What truly helps us understand God's gift is when we realize God's love for us in spite of of the circumstances of our life. When we understand that God loves us no matter what our life looks like. You see, as we peer into the manger at Jesus' birth, God is whispering to each one of us, that gift is for you. It's wrapped in those swaddling, swaddling clothes to deliver you from sin. You have found favor in my eyes, God says. My grace is all that you need. It's sufficient for you. I find it amazing that, that Jesus' life began with a no vacancy sign. He wasn't able to get into a room in order to be born. And yet at the end of Jesus' life, he left a tomb vacant and promised his disciples and us that in his Father's house are many rooms. Isn't that amazing to think about? The Son of God who had no room when he came to this earth has provided a place for you and me in the mansions of heaven. That's what he did by taking on human flesh. That's what God did by sending Jesus to this earth. He became one of us so that he knows us. He knows what we face. He can empathize with us. 
but even more, he came to save. That's God's gift to you and me this Christmas and every single day. It's the perfect gift yesterday on Christmas. It's the perfect gift still today, and it will be the perfect gift tomorrow and the next day and the day after that all the way to our home in heaven. The Apostle Paul says it so well in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he describes Jesus coming into the world this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. God has given you riches through Jesus. The riches of forgiveness of sins and life with him. A couple of things you can take home with you from the sermon today. Number one, God brought about Jesus' birth at the exact right time and in the exact right place because our God is a God of history. He knows what's happening in your life and has the best solutions for that as well. Number two, Jesus was born in humble circumstances because he came to save. Yes, Jesus didn't come for himself to this earth. He came for you and for me. Finally, number three, we are rich through Jesus and his, he is the gift that lasts forever. I remember hearing this quote once and I couldn't find it this week to give credit to the person who came up with it, but, but it goes something like this. If we had needed health, God would have sent a doctor. If we needed better technology, then God would have sent an engineer or a scientist. If we needed entertainment, then God would have sent an athlete or a musician. You can keep going. But here's what God knew. He knew we needed a savior, a savior from sin. And that's why he sent Jesus to forgive us. One of my favorite childhood memories and into my adulthood is watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I'm sure some of you have seen that. And what's amazing about it is it stayed on network television for almost 40 years. And every year that that was on, because Charles Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts gang, had, he could say what he wanted the, the show to look like, he kept Luke 2 recited every single time that was played. You see, Charlie Brown asks Linus, what's the meaning of Christmas? What's the true meaning? And Linus recites for him the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. I remember hearing this once, but I had kind of forgotten about it until this week, and, and it's one of those amazing things. As Linus is reciting the story, if you know a little bit about the Peanuts gang, Linus carries the security blanket everywhere. But he drops it, and there's the picture on the screen, as he's reciting these words from Luke chapter 2 from the angels. Do not fear. The only time in all of the Peanuts comics that Linus does not have his blanket is when he gives us the message from the angels. Do not fear. Isn't that what Christmas is about? Jesus coming to take away our fears? Eliminating those fears by reminding us that we're his own children and heirs of eternal life? And that's not just the hot gift this Christmas. It's the best gift today and forever. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.